Hi, I'm Jackson Haldane, and this is episode five of the Traveling Good Time Medicine Show podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Home Roots. And as we say goodbye to our final guests, farewell, friends, yes, until we roll back through your fine town, I ponder on the tremendous responsibility of dispensing the medicine. Though we may be exhausted and drained from entertaining the masses, we are ever in the presence of the medicine. And as such, we will trek onward and do it again in the next town. And the next down the road, and the next down the road, and the next down the road, and the next down the road. This is a tough world. A hard place to find any universal truth, and thus a challenging place to walk a noble path. Many harms are justified in our individual pursuits of happiness. Our successes often come at the expense of another. But there are those who, through the execution of their own goals, also profoundly enrich the lives of others around them. These people need acknowledgement and celebration. Mitch Podolik and Ava Kabrinsky are these kinds of people. Through the creation of the Winnipeg Folk Festival, the 1980 Traveling Folk Festival, the West End Cultural Center, and Home Roots, they changed the world. The cascading effect of their influence is incalculable. My entire creative life has been shaped by my early experiences at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. And the West End Cultural Center was home to many of my earliest gigs. Home Roots has put years worth of food on my family's table. This is just my experience, and there are thousands of people like me who have either directly or indirectly been inspired by Mitch and Ava to find something in their lives of profound meaning and enrichment. It's important to state, despite the levity we've employed with our recurring theme, that the healing aspect of all of this is real. I've seen it. I've felt it. For folks who are hardwired to the live music experience, there's no substitute for a show, and getting that fix can be powerful. And I had an experience last summer at a couple backyard concerts where 18 months into the pandemic, it was people's first concert. This is Saskatchewan-based artist Jeffrey Straker. And I visibly saw several people crying, like wiping tears. And, and, I, and I hadn't really seen that many people do that before. And I talked to some of them at the break and, I, you know, we talked about it. And, and they said, I forgot this feeling. And it touched me so much, you know, because it reassured me that what we're doing really matters, you know, that like that this live music thing really makes a difference, you know, and I actually get shivers thinking about that moment. So there's emotional therapy in the music itself. But we've also talked a lot about the community aspect of Home Roots and Mitch and Ava's philosophy. There's healing in taking on a robust, supportive and active role in local culture. The true medicine is work, our labor and energy invested back in our communities so that we can feel whole again and take pride and ownership over the magical moments that we share together. Whether your particular thing is live music or vintage cars or craft beer or knitting, identify the givers in your community, spot it in yourself, nurture the urge to join in. We need that now more than ever.
Mitch knew how to create environments where artists could do that, where artists could be inspired by each other and create new things together just by creating environments where people ate together and people talked together and everybody had all the information they needed so they could be comfortable and relaxed so that they could do uh, the best job that they could do. And, you know, this whole theme around the Traveling Folk Festival and Good Time Medicine show of this idea that music is medicine, it's a serious thing, right? Like it's actually something that I'm pretty convinced now after doing this job, you know, and being part of tons of events over the last 20, almost coming on 25 years, that it is a way to bring incredible healing to communities. And I think it's, I, I really believe it, you know, if, if we as a society were to organize ourselves more within the principles of the way that the Traveling Folk Festival and Good Time Medicine show is organized or the Winnipeg Folk Festival is organized, or the Western Cultural Center, or, you know, like the Harvest Moon Festival or the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, or a lot of these things that if you bring these models that empower people in the ways you can do incredible shows and you can change communities. You can, I, I believe it's a way to change the world. And I say that without any bit of sarcasm or anything. I really, truly believe that if you can focus the energy and the magic that Mitch and Ava and many others have taught over the years, uh, how to wield that kind of power, really, you can really change the world with it. And I think that that's something that gets lost when you talk about music and tours and all that kind of stuff. And you just look at the business end of things and how many tickets you're selling and how big of a venue can you get in and who's got the best publicist. You forget about the grassroots level of music and what Mitch and Ava and all those guys really knew how to wield thousands of people around them. When it's all told, it's like it's the volunteers and the communities they built around each of these projects that really made it Building that kind of community isn't easy. It requires a high level of patience and faith, not to mention trust and respect amongst everyone involved. For Home Roots, the relationship between our hosts and artists is paramount to creating beautiful environments that all can thrive in. I've been honored to interview some amazing people for this series. Here's an excerpt from my interview with Home Roots General Manager, Ava Kabrinsky. Well, we were also very lucky in that we had training support from the province of Manitoba. So we were able to hire people to do the work. And if people haven't heard this expression already, I'm going to repeat it, which is the fact that arts production is labor intensive. So the fact is that that's the biggest resource that we depend on to get production happening is is people. So we were very fortunate to be able to do that. And then once the training dollars were used up, we, we had trained staff. And we also had, I think we developed from four to all of a sudden, a few years later, we had 16 roots, which meant uh, six times a year, people were going around to 16 different regions, doing 12 shows each. So I don't know, I need a calculator for that too. <laughs> Just for reference, over the course of the past 15 years, Home Roots has paid out over $4 million to artists. That's well over 10,000 concerts, including more than 200 digital shows, garnering 600,000-plus online views. What was that work? You were, you were spearheading something very novel. You're breaking new ground, creating circuits of house concerts. So what did that work look like? It's not like a traditional booking agent's responsibility. No, it is. It's sure. kind of the reverse, which is kind of a... In terms of an auditing situation, we can't go to every single show 
We even had, I think we might have had shows in Newfoundland and Quebec at some point, and BC and all over the place. <laughs> so the volunteers that gather in the audience, the musicians, uh, they collect the money directly. All the admissions, ticket sales, and product sales. They sell a lot of records and, I mean, CDs and whatever. They sell recordings, you know. And then they send me a report. And then they send me whatever we negotiate, which is 15%. And they kept 85%. The other thing that I want to say is that it was fantastic working with all the musicians. Everybody sent the reports right away. Everybody sent us our share of the revenue. It was absolutely a, a partnership and based on trust and goodwill. And the whole thing was that the uh, house concert hosts put up the artists and gave them breakfast and lunch and sometimes dinner, depending on timeline. So it really reduced the expense, touring expenses for everybody. And the other thing is that happened is the hosts were very congenial and welcoming and were so proud of their communities. The artists were telling us, how they were taken on tours to see all the attractions and what was going on in the community. And real friendships were made. And I know of a few musicians who have continued to do house concerts with their hosts that they met with Home Roots. The music business is a ruthless one. And I can recall many times having to chase down a promoter or club owner to get paid, or at least advocate for agreed remuneration, but never on a Home Roots tour. Home Roots is a true paradigm shift. We're cared for in these environments. The trust between Home Roots, the artists, the hosts, is key to creating strong, tight-knit communities. Sherry Ulrich is a well-respected veteran of the Canadian folk music scene. She's done at least seven tours with Home Roots, experiencing it firsthand. And I keep coming to, back to the word intimacy, that there's a more intimate relationship between the performer and the audience than you get in a normal concert situation. You know, I think that as a touring artist, it's easy to think that you need to do things a certain way or you need to, your value as an artist is dependent on how big of a room you play and how big of a ticket price you're going to command. And I think I've been fortunate in my career to have various elements like this and and certainly a home roots and performing in people's homes is a big one where it forces you to realize that it always comes down to the the human exchange of of creating music to touch people having them be touched and having them be grateful for that and being grateful that they were you know that whole circle of gratitude and all of that that when it comes right down to it that's the only thing that's really important and I'm, even though this might sound like a, some sort of justification for not being a, a worldwide touring artist every day of my life and being massively huge, that's the thing that can get lost. That's, I think that's uh, one of the first things that can get lost when one is surrounded by a team and protected and and held up and Things that don't, uh, factors that don't necessarily allow that person to stay connected to the the gifts they've been given and the reason that they do what they do and and all of that. So there is nothing like being plopped in the middle of someone's living room in front of forty people who are 
right there to remind you of what it is that you're doing and why you do it and what's important about it. And it is that human connection. So I, and plus having, having, knowing the empowerment of knowing that you can make a living with your music at any time, that, that accessibility to an infrastructure that will allow you to uh, not have to, you know, have uh, 5,000 people that are going to show up and, and all of that entails and all that you're supporting in doing that, that you can always uh, make a living with your music by playing just to living rooms. Caroline Brooks is one third of the trio Good Lovelies, Home Roots alumni. They're no strangers to house concerts and the demands of performing in that environment night after night. They are also keenly aware of the deep social impact of connecting directly with their audience. I want to talk about how we took turns being the the lead socializer on the tour. But uh, <laughs> that, no, it was a really great experience. Carrie and I are pretty extroverted. Well, I'm probably the most extroverted, and then Carrie's sort of somewhere in the middle. Not on stage. She's definitely the most extroverted on stage. But Sue is on the other <laughs> end. She's just like, guys, I can't, you know? And it, it's it's the the being on part is actually real. Like, I don't know if you felt this you felt this way, but like for me, the hardest part was like, what time do you want to have breakfast? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like you have to, and then you're like, I'm on for breakfast too, you know? And so, but I learned a lot doing that. I learned so much doing that. And one of the cool, I have a, a distinct memory. There was one show on the tour where there was a death in the family. So they asked a friend to host a concert in their stead and they brought some friends, but they had zero idea about house concerts. And it was really interesting because like we could have approached it like, mm, I don't know if we should do this because these people have never done it before. They're just like, they're not sure. Actually being a really cool experience because we got to like guide them through their first, I, I, could, I can really remember the audience being like, what is happening? Like, how do I even sit here? And like, how do I react? I'm not in some dark club or something. And it was like, we were like, it's okay. You can have a good time. It's all, it's going to be all right. And it actually ended up being a really like, a quite a beautiful experience because you know you're just watching these people just like oh my god i can bring people into my house and do a show like this is amazing so yeah it was really like we learned so much and i'm like really grateful to home roots for those those experiences and taking a chance on us in those early days too you know we were pretty green and um yeah it was really cool home roots as an artist could be extremely educational you actually not unlike touring abroad when when you're doing small concerts and staying with promoters and immersing yourself with a local culture it's kind of funny to think like in Canada that there'd be an there'd be a local culture that you're not familiar with but truly the rural experience and the urban experience are vastly different and so for for someone to be able like I, I think of someone like Mark Reeves maybe who I followed him on a tour one time and I, I just heard stories about how They'd been taken out into the fields and harvesting. And he was just, mine was blown. You yeah. know? Just like seeing this life and seeing this way of life that you know exists, but you have no idea about it. And yeah, so that immersive aspect of it is informative for everyone. And also like I grew up with a lot of rural family. Like I grew up in sort of more suburban. Uh, I lived in, I grew up in Whitby, Ontario, which is just east of Toronto. And I had a lot of rural family. And one of the things that 
I also experience, you probably get this too, is like you get into your like political social bubble where everybody sort of agrees with you. You know, you're, you're all, you all have the same ideas and you know, you all just sort of like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, exactly. I can't believe those. I can't believe that somebody voted for that person, you know? And so going to other places and I experienced this all over the world, you know, like in the UK during Brexit, touring over there, those kind of experiences are like, wow, this is, it's really good for me to sit down at a table and have a beer with somebody who has completely different political views than me and also just look them in the eyes and be like, we're both human, you know what I mean? Rather than when we're, you know, we're just like distantly having these Twitter back and forth and hidden behind a wall. Like it's, it's a really, I feel like I wish everybody could have that experience. Like speaking reasonably with people and just like hearing them out, obviously within reason, you know, like there's right. certain, but there's compassion, lines, but- there's compassion in all of our hearts, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And s- sometimes the ideas can, can really obscure that and, mm-hmm. but it's there. And when you see it in someone, it, it does rehumanizes them and yourself. Mm-hmm. This episode's musical features Double the Trouble. That's right, Double the Trouble. Appearing April 29th on the Traveling Good Time Medicine Show. Yeah, I'm Aiden Wrigley. I'm Luke Wrigley. And uh, we're Double the Trouble. I guess we can define our music. Um, there's not like a specific genre I'd say we are. We can kind of take a little bit of like everything. We have like some Mithi fiddle tunes. Uh, I've been branching into like the country a little bit and uh, just like folk tunes as well. Well, when we, uh, we came up with the name Double the Trouble, we were actually, we're probably about, oh man, that was I was like know, six years old probably. We were playing with our dad at the Forks and we had to call ourselves something. And our, our mom and grandma really liked the name Double the Trouble because we're twins. Yeah. And so that was like the, what started off like the name. But then, like, so we would, like, play a lot, and everybody would recognize us. Oh, it's those Twin Fiddler kids. Originally, we just kind of started up. Uh, our grandma had put us in these fiddling lessons with Clint Dudium. Our grandma, who's a, like, pr- a prideful Métis woman, she wanted us to learn about our culture, and fiddle was, like, the first thing she thought of. And our, our dad would try to learn the guitar. He's like, hey, I can do that. Just play the background and help the boys practice. And uh, I guess he kind of saw that he could kind of turn a little, like, make have a band out of that and just, like, show off his kids a bit. So yes. eventually he just started turning into, like, practicing and busking at the force, actually getting, you know, gigs and, and stuff at, at uh, like, other places and slowly just becoming, like, an actual band and, like, playing professionally and all that stuff. And I would just turn 18, so maybe it's a little time to get turned to, like, a more mature side, I guess. We've been thinking of rebranding our name from uh, Double the Trouble to the Wrigley Brothers. And that was shortly after uh, we are talking with Leonard Podolik. And he was telling us that maybe thinking about rebranding, because most of the time, I think when people like hear Double the Trouble, like as us, they remember like those little, yeah. little like uh, twin fiddler chubbers. <laughs> We've also been like slowly evolving too, I find. Like I look at back some of our, of our older videos and stuff and some of the songs like, we do, we do a lot of different songs now, especially considering like our voices changed. Yeah. So we can't do all those high, high songs anymore. But And even branching with new instruments, like during our show now, like when we go have a gig, our dad is always bringing the banjo. 
and then we'll even bring luke's guitar so we'll always have two guitars on stage and a banjo and then the fiddles of course but just yeah. adding new things and just yeah. like yeah we just slowly evolved from just like the two fiddles and the and the guitar to like singing you know and then adding the banjo now and like different genre i'd say yeah we probably did more like folk tunes and then now we're just slowly branching off into like countryside a bit just like what's going around like popularity i guess kind of and what we like to hear on the radio right before COVID, we had this like super sick lineup of like gigs that we were coming we were supposed to go to like yukon and bc and like even head out east because we, we never really been east for any gigs but then it kind of got shut down but there's definitely like some highlights yeah, during, yeah during COVID, like there was like online gigs that were like big like obviously it was just us in our basement but like and even coming out like last summer was like our first performance coming out of the COVID. we had like new material and we were just like trying different things while we were at home you know like because that's kind of when the banjo first came out yeah like playing regularly you don't really you know you, you practice the songs you're doing but you can't it's like we had a lot of time to think about what we wanted to do and, but it's definitely picking up recently. Like we just got actually an offer to play um, in Yukon for Canada Day, and that's like going to be a big, exciting gig for us. Yeah, we're going to be playing with uh, Del Barber, Bobby Dove, and then like these two amazing artists for this. Uh, like we're recording it at the West End, and so so it was pretty neat. Like we went there and we had done something similar like that before, where we were just playing in at the West End as a recording. But it was neat to play there with like some other people. Yeah, we kind of had like we took turns singing songs and did a song together, and then did our own set. It was actually a really fun day. I think we missed school that day. Though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. It almost I pretty think, much was like a workshop. Yeah, I think they were saying the words. It was like yeah, this is gonna be like a workshop kind of thing. We like we would take turns singing a song or two, mm. and then talk about just like whatever, and then. And then yeah, that we had our own show and it was, it was pretty neat. And uh, I'm I'm actually just really excited to see what it, how like how it turned out because they had like a bunch of cameras going, smoke machine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are working on like a third album, like EP type thing coming up soon. I guess we're uh, gonna be starting the recording. Yeah, it's gonna be I think mostly original tunes and have some fiddle yeah, tunes. All in there. original tunes. And we're also like if people want to like see what we're up to, like we have our Instagram and Facebook. And we have Twitter, but I'm not sure who uses Twitter much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think our dad even uses Twitter, we're, but Facebook is usually yeah. the main, like... We're still under double the trouble, though, I think. Just to not confuse everybody. <laughs> like, the CD will probably say Wrigley Bros, and then, like, in like in brackets, double the trouble. <laughs> yeah, on the back or something. Yeah. We're hoping, like, it'll be all done, because, like, in the summertime, we got... We're going to be playing Folk Fest as, like, minstrels, and then uh, Sun Fest in, on Vancouver Island. That's going to be a pretty big show that yeah. we're happy about. Cool. If you look at Sunfest, you'll see our name like at the bottom of the list. It said the bomb was still there. It's though, still there, right? you know? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. How about that, folks? Double the trouble. Or soon to be the Wrigley Brothers. Yes, yes. Let's hear it for all of them. Yes. They'll be in a live stream concert with Del Barber and Bobby Dove, appearing April 29th on the Traveling Good Time Medicine Show. Info in the show notes. I'm truly enjoying bringing you this story. I consider myself so fortunate to have found myself in Mitch and Ava's orbit. I was raised to value community and one's individual duty to invest time, energy, and goodwill. 
I think it's a pretty safe investment with a sizable long-term return usually. I also revere the act of building events that spark and support larger networks in the human economy. All of these kinds of endeavors require a team, but someone needs to be central with the skills to inspire and organize. And the true masters, like Mitch, have an innate skill for persuasion. People were eager to buy into a Mitch vision, and this was possibly his greatest talent as a presenter. We've introduced Russ Kelly and Jason Andrich previously in our episodes. They're both real-life superheroes, in my opinion. Russ's former role with the Canada Council for the Arts, where he helped secure Home Roots' startup funding, gave him a unique perch from which to evaluate how culture is created in Canada. Jason is our executive producer at the podcast and has a fascinating resume helping to found the Winnipeg Comedy Festival and producing major events for the likes of the Olympics and Rogers Media. Both of these fellas are friends of mine, and I find the following conversation between them super fascinating. They each had close relationships with Mitch and have a keen understanding of the mind at work behind his methods. Here's Russ when asked about the 2019 passing of Mitch and whether the world is a different place now. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Very, very much. Very much. Yeah. I, you know, the, 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 what else is there? I, I find it, I'm not sure if you can replace Mitch. You no. know, I, I keep thinking about that. Is there somebody who would come along and get what he got, you know, where he came from? And I don't know. You know, I think, I think there were a whole bunch of things that coincided in that one brain that are almost impossible to re replicate the same way, to get to the same point. And there may be different ways to get to that point and, and stuff. And I, I know lots of people want to be there. It's just, I, it's, I think the communistic thing about who he was the Jewish thing about who he was. The, I mean, all, there were so many bits and pieces that had to come together to make that, that Mitch brain, you know. And it's, uh, it's an interesting one, whether you can, how you pass that on. Except that, you know, there are some, you know, we've already talked about what the basic things are, which is, you know, he, his respect for the artist is, was paramount. Yeah. His, his respect for or belief that um, uh, people desperately want to be um, entertained. It's not even entertained. They want to be moved by music. They want and to be by, interconnected, right? You know? Yes, because an yeah. audience is a shared thing. Yes. You know, it, it's, not, it's not a bunch of separate people. And it actually is its own force, too. Once it, when it really clicks in, it's a whole other thing. There's an energy that gets created. And that energy is independent of everything. It just is the energy. And when you turn an audience, audience on to that extent, that, that's just magic because, of course, you're also turning yourself on <laughs> to the same degree because it's, it's a shared journey. And when it gets to be this shared journey, that's again another one of those magical places that music can take you. And I, you know, those were, uh, for me, those were the true moments and stuff. Oh man, I miss that guy, Russ. I really do. Look at me too. Me too. 
Uh, it just, uh, like I said, my, my, there, there isn't, there won't be another one like him. And, yeah. and that's okay. That just is what it is. But for those of us who knew, who knew him, and, and Ava too, and, uh, but, you know, we, I think, I always consider myself fortunate to have been able to be in a place where I was able to both, you know, meet the guy <laughs> and, and, and help. You know, yeah. I, I just, that was one of those things where you just go, yeah, okay. You know, regardless of what anybody else in my shop thinks, this is one of the most important things we could possibly do. And and it, it, I still think that's absolutely true. I think it was one of the major things I got to certainly participate in because it uh, just so mattered and it was so true, you know. <laughs> yeah, there was no bullshit about it. None, you know. I hear bullshit if he thought you were a bullshitter. Yeah, but <laughs> that's when he, that would go on. When that wasn't on, he was a, a, just a sweet human being, you know. Really, quite. I'm not sure lots of people ever saw the sweet side of him, but boy, I did, and I just, uh, I just, he's just, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's one of the big, major people in my life. No, and people just don't know. They don't even know what they're looking for when they go looking for those things. You know, because Mitch was, Mitch was, there's, there's hands on, and then there's full body on. And Mitch mm. was full body on, which is a totally different thing and a totally different level. And people don't know you, the, the, the degree of commitment that's necessary to make these really simple, these things ha look as simple as they look, yeah. <laughs> because they're not, and it's 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 a, so many factors that it's bizarre. But there is one factor, and that one factor is always true, which is that you all you, what you need is around you is you need people who actually understand what the direction is. Like, why are we doing this? Because if you don't have that, you don't have that shared understanding of what, why, why it works. What are the bits and pieces of it that makes it work? And I was getting a pretty good sort of sense of what that was, uh, you know, sitting where I sat. Because you could see, I could see the difference between, you know, the, the, the other festivals and, and, and the festival that Mitch would put on. And it's, it's, um, at some levels, it looks like it's a smaller, simpler thing that he was doing. And it uh, that's the wrong way. Numbers and, and stuff, even the dollars, are not the way that you measure it. What you measure is how, again, same deal, how are people moved? How are their lives in, you know, made better? All those sorts of things, because that's what he looked at all the time. Touch people, period. And, and that's the right way. And there is no other way. But everybody thinks there is, and they think it's the mechanics of the festival. When I was a teenager, volunteering for the local folk club in my small town, my now good friend Mort, also one of Mitch's closest friends, was the club promoter. And he stressed one key principle in promoting the show. Treat the musicians really well. Touring is hard, and even a small off-the-beaten-path hamlet can become a destination for artists if they can make a few bucks and feed their souls as they're passing through. Nothing respects an artist more than ensuring the audience is in the best mood possible to see them. And Leonard, Mitch and Ava's son, 
Learn firsthand what it takes to leave an audience wanting more. A heart and soul commitment to making it happen no matter what. That's a very correct assessment. Nothing that my parents have ever done in terms of uh, cultural presentation has been with profit in mind. And I literally mean that not just like as, oh, we work for a nonprofit. No, we are going to take our time and our resources to put on the best, most intimate, interactive cultural experience for everybody involved as humanly possible. You know, the way, if you look at some of the old pictures of the Winnipeg Folk Festival, some of the old posters, you'll see that the main stage didn't have this huge canopy roof that's two stories tall, and that the stage was not nine feet off the ground, with a fence 20 feet in front of that, which is where the audience gets to be. The stage was three and a half feet off the ground with a tent. And you hear some folks say, oh, look how much it's grown since then. It was by absolute design that the stage was like, rock and roll stages existed then. It wasn't about that. It was about creating an intimate vibe where the audience could come to the lip. You know, there was a, they used to use old snow fence around the perimeter of the main, of the, of the folk festival site. And in front of the main stage, they took, there was a special piece of snow fence that was sawed in half to about like, you know, a foot and a half tall, right? And folks put their blankets down in front of it and the stage was two or three feet off the the ground. And there was 10 or 15,000 people out there just the same as there is now. Maybe not quite as many, but, you know, still a very, very significant audience. And so that's what that was about. You know, like the the thought process my dad used to tell me that it's my job as the artistic director, not just to program the stages, but to think about the experience of every kind of person, every kind of audience member, every kind of musician, what their experience is going to be from the second they either step off the plane into Winnipeg if they're an artist, or get to the hotel if they're a volunteer to catch their ride to the site in the shuttle and meet their crew, or, or the patron who, you know, 97% doesn't know anything about folk music and the 3% that do and what their experience would like to be and how to balance that. And he thought he's going to program for the 3% folkies and the 97% of the eventers who show up are going to learn an awful lot and have a really wicked time. <laughs> and, and that's what happened, you know. And, and also a fundamental part of this too. And there's arguments that, that go on in different festivals and it's it's appropriate it's different in at every festival but for the time that it was and the place that they were in the appropriate thing to do was to make a situation where the volunteers and the artists ate together played together experienced and contributed to the festival together As we slowly put our world back together, we can look forward to our own togetherness, sharing those events that become touchstones and turning moments to memories. With all the lessons learned from the Winnipeg Folk Festival to home roots and all stops in between, we're ready to embark on a new path for a new world. We demonstrated in the past how we could expand opportunities in live touring and are proving right now what we can accomplish in the digital sphere. Our mission is clear and our commitment steadfast. 
we will seek out new platforms for artists and work to ensure that you, our audience, have exciting opportunities to enjoy live music and other content, including this podcast. And this may stand alone as a mini-series, but we have a back catalogue of other podcast episodes and will continue to produce more in the future. Connecting an artist with an audience is an ever-shifting challenge, but it's the business we're in, so we will continue the healing work, traveling to you to bring the good times and the medicine. Now would also be a good time to mention purchasing tickets for the fifth and final Traveling Good Time Medicine Show Side Door Concert. That's April 29th with Del Barber, Double the Trouble, and Bobby Dove. These shows have been great, and this is your last chance to catch a ride. I'm your host, Jackson Haldane. Our producers are Jordan Moore of The Pod Cabin and Tim Fraser of The Murdoch Podcast Network. Jason Arkley of Home Roots runs our offense from the point guard position. And thanks, as always, to the Home Roots staff, Leonard, Ava, Kathy, Brianna, Graham, and all our volunteer members. Our comrade and founder, Mitch Padalik's Banjo Licks, have provided our background music for the series. We discovered those in archives recorded in the early 2000s. Thanks to Factor and the Canadian Arts Council for funding this project, and to you for listening to the Traveling Good Time Medicine Show Podcast.